The first reading for today comes from Isaiah chapter 42. For a long time, I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them, but those who trust in idols, those who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Hear you deaf, look you blind and see. Who is blind but my servant and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one committed to me, blind like the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but have paid no attention. Your ears are open, but you hear nothing. It pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from the fourth chapter of Ephesians. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. We hear the words of Jesus in the Holy Gospel from the ninth chapter of St. John. As he, that is Jesus, went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. They brought to the disciples the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. 
The man replied, he is a prophet. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is such a familiar hymn for us and one that's emotional for many. And the reminder of us, reminder for us that the grace of God is with us always and no matter what circumstance. And so may that peace be yours this day in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at our John chapter 9 reading from this morning. And as we get into that reading, we're going to see, uh, we're going to see what it means to have a crumbling soul. And, and you might think, as, as I do, that, that crumbling soul is a bit of a misnomer for this sermon, uh, because it seems like we probably should be talking more about crumbling body, right? After all, this is an account of, of someone who's born blind. And so for him, the, the effect of the sin-torn world is the effect that it's taken on his body. And that's what Jesus heals, after all. But we're reminded, of course, that there's more to the story that Jesus doesn't just heal him of of his physical blindness, that it isn't just about his crumbling body, but that we are whole people, body, mind, and soul. And if you ever needed needed that reminder, just think of the situation in which we find ourselves today. What it means for us to say this coronavirus affects your body. And yet look at what it's doing also to us mentally and emotionally. As we distance ourselves socially, we find ourselves in isolation sometimes. We find ourselves in situations where we don't have others with whom we could interact that we otherwise might. It can take its toll. And not only that, but also our souls. And this reminder that that as we are are socially distant from one another and we can't gather in the same way, that we still have these spiritual needs, these deep needs of soul that only God can heal. So we're reminded in the midst of this that, that God is still here. We're reminded that God is here caring for us in body, mind, and soul. And so it's right for us to think about, about a crumbling soul and God's work in it and the way that God continues to work in the midst of our sin-torn world. That's exactly what happens in our account in John chapter 9. And, and John chapter 9 is, is truthfully one of my favorite accounts in the Gospel of John. It's, it's one that has so much detail and, and so much depth that it's hard for us to cover in just one sermon. And so no, don't worry, this isn't suddenly going to become a 50-minute sermon. I'll try to keep myself down to a normal 45 minutes. But really, as we think about this text, we, we look at what happens here, and, and really the details jump out at us right at the very beginning. It starts off with this. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind at birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, now you say, what details are there in the beginning? Just the details about this guy being born blind. Yes, the easiest detail is the one we overlook first. The detail that says Jesus went along, he saw a man. That's what Jesus saw. As Jesus went walking along that day, he had a thousand other things that were on his mind. His disciples in his ear asking him questions, teaching as he went, doing various things, encountering people, being afraid of those who might try to, try to manipulate him. In fact, walking in the paths that God had for him to walk. And here, here in the midst of all of this is a beggar. That's what we would see. But Jesus saw a man. He saw a man 
who had a physical ailment. He was blind from birth. Jesus saw a man. His disciples ask a question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What do his disciples see? They see a theological question. Jesus sees a man. His disciples see a theological question, and they right away ask it, right? They have no qualms. And remember, the guy's blind. He's not deaf. He can hear their question. Who's the sinner in this situation? Jesus doesn't answer it immediately, does he? He doesn't, he doesn't say to them, is it possible that you'd, you'd be open to a third alternative? Instead, he speaks in the hearing of this man. He speaks so that they would know. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happens that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then he talks about the work that he has sent into the world to do. That he is, he's actually sent into the world to be the light of the world. And who is he the light for? Not for theological inquisition. He's the light of the world for people. Because that's what Jesus sees. And that sets the stage for everything that follows. It sets the stage for what's going to come next. And Jesus will answer all of these questions. And that's what the story is really all about. It's about the effect of the sin-torn world. It's about the effect of the, the crumbling world on all of the people who are in it, even on you and me. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Jesus heals this man of blindness. And one of the things I find most fascinating is over and over again, it's this repeated statement that he heals a man who is born blind, right? As if, as if the guy had only been blind for 15 years, well, then that miracle would just be a pedestrian. But since he's born blind, now that's a big deal. But he heals a man who's born blind, and he does it in a peculiar way, doesn't he? After he says, I'm the light of the world, he spits in the ground, and he makes some mud with the saliva. And right away, we go, ugh, I don't really know about that. Then you're reminded that the man who's born blind is, is in a state of helplessness. And so while this might seem preposterous to us, anything that might bring healing is worth it. He makes some mud out of the saliva and he wipes it on the man's eyes. And then he tells him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And Siloam means sent, John tells us. And it refers back to the sense that Jesus was sent by the Father. And now Jesus is sending. He's the one who's sending this man out to go wash in the pool. And it's this weird two-stage healing that happens. Maybe it's to protect Jesus because it's a Sabbath day. Whatever reason, the man went and he washed. And then... And then it's almost a forgotten detail. Oh, and he came home seeing, right? It worked. Exactly, exactly what Jesus said would happen, happens. And this entire situation now, this entire existence of this man has been changed, has been transformed. And we're going to see that this transforms every part of him, not just the fact that he is seeing. And three times he's about to be confronted about what happened. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that it was. And others said, no, he only looks like him. The first time that he's confronted about his healing is by those who know him best, those who see him on a daily basis, those who are his neighbors, those who, who encounter him in his blindness and in his begging. And you think that their reaction might be one of, of, of astonishment and surprise. It might, be, it might be rejoicing with this guy. Hey, this thing that you've wanted all your life, it's now yours. 
but they don't. Instead, they've, they've just got questions. Who are you? You're not really that guy, are you? And he himself insists, yeah, I am, I'm that guy. I'm the one that you used to see. I'm the one that used to beg at the doorframe. I'm the one who was there, that's me. And then they ask him the question, well, who did this? How did this happen? I want you to notice his response. He says, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. Notice he left off the part about the saliva. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Now the detail I want you to notice is, is how he refers to the person who healed him. Right? He, he says there, the one they call Jesus. And you get a sense now that there's some distance between he and Jesus. You get the sense now that he doesn't really know what's happened. He, he doesn't really know who Jesus is. He only knows of him. And he knows what's happened. He knows what he's received from this Jesus. But this is all he can, this is all he can muster at this point. His name, is, his name is Jesus. At least that's what they call him. And where is he, they ask. I don't know, he says. And now there's a second encounter. Because those who were there, those neighbors and those who had seen him begging formally, they now bring him to the Pharisees. And when they bring him to the Pharisees, it's like they're going to get to the bottom of this. They don't know the right questions to ask, and so they're going to bring him to the people who can really try this case and to find out what's happening. And so they bring him to the Pharisees. And as they bring him to the Pharisees, the first thing the Pharisees do is they begin a theological debate. And so they're asking the question, is this guy, is this guy a sinner or not? Did this guy heal on the Sabbath or not? Did this guy do what's right or not? Right away, a bunch of theological questions start to be fired all around. And and you know how this happens, don't you? They all of a sudden lose sight of the miracle standing in the room. And instead, they want to get to the bottom of the theological questions. But the man's still standing there. And so as they're debating and disagreeing about this, As they're divided about what's happening, they turn again to the blind man. Verse 17, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, and now the man's response? He's a prophet. Now, now don't take that lightly, because the term prophet carries a lot of weight. Remember who the prophets of the people were. Remember the prophets of old that God had sent. This is sort of an indication that there's a transformation that's beginning to take place in this guy. And the transformation is happening because he's realizing that this Jesus is causing all kinds of controversy because he cared. Because Jesus saw a man. And he was that man. He's a prophet. He responds. And that's a big deal. They still didn't believe that he had been blind. And so now they're gonna say, you and this guy, you're, you're in cahoots. You guys are conspiring. And, and you weren't really blind in the first place, were you? In fact, in fact, you and Jesus probably just had this on the side. And so now there's this, this thing that's gonna happen. And you know, maybe you're gonna go on the road together and you're gonna tour and you're gonna say, this guy healed me and you're gonna gain some notoriety for Jesus. We know how this works. You weren't really born blind, were you? In fact, where are this guy's parents? So now they bring in his parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. 
He's of age. Ask him. I think it's kind of fascinating. It's kind of fascinating that the parents are so nervous about the reaction. And it shows you the power of the people who are in power. It shows you the power because they're afraid of being put out of the assembly of believers. They're afraid that if they respond wrong, then, then they're going to be disconnected from the God that they know. They're afraid that they're going to be socially ostracized the same way that their son has been all of his life. And so they just give testimony to what the guys already suspected. Yes, he's our son. And yes, he was born blind. Ask him all the other questions. And so they bring back in the formerly blind man. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth because clearly up until this point you haven't been telling the truth. So now give glory to God by being a truth teller. Who did this? And he continues to become more bold. He continues to become more emboldened by what Jesus has done and this recognition of what Jesus is truly capable of. And he says to them, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. You can sing it if you want. It's where the the hymn got that line. I was blind, but now I see. And there's only one person who has done that. There's only one who has done it for me. And so they say it to him, well, well, how did he do it? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, I've told you already and you don't believe? And so why do you want to ask me again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Notice the transformation that is happening in him. I've already told you that he's become more bold, but now he's saying, do you want to be a disciple too? And that too is so important because now he's saying, do you want to become a disciple like me? You want to become what I am. And as you see him, as you see him bold in his witness, you begin to see that he he has this trust in Jesus that surpasses his trust in those around him. And so when he answers this, they say, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke through Moses. We know what God is capable of. But for this guy, we don't really know. And then, and then he sees this bold moment, right? This moment for him to step forth. And he says, look, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he came from. And you're willing to accuse him. And yet he's done this miraculous thing. No one's ever seen someone who's born blind who suddenly has been given their sight. No one has done a miracle like this. You can't repeat it. You don't know where it's from. In his accusation, he's not afraid. And he ends with this, verse 33. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. All the way back to where this started. With a man laying at the city gates. With a man begging on the street. With a person that they never see, but just a problem. You were steeped in birth. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. All that's happened to this man. And he's left in the same position he was at the beginning of the day. Outside and excluded. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, Just stop there for a second. 
Who found whom? Jesus was following the case. When Jesus heard that they had thrown this formerly blind man out, he went and found him. He asked him a question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? One of those messianic titles, one of those titles of the one who would come. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And I I love, I love that statement. Tell me so that I may believe in him. At this point, this man has this sense, right, that's been given to him by God, that this Jesus is more than anything he ever could have thought he was. And so he says to him, if you tell me to believe in this Jesus, if you say it, then I will believe it. And Jesus then says, I am he. I am the son of man. I'm the one who was sent into the world. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. What a bold proclamation. This man's entire life transformed by Jesus, transformed by an act which restores him physically and an act which restores him spiritually. Because we know the answer to the theological question that the disciples asked, who was, who was born, who was steeped in sin at birth, this man or his parents? The answer is both. Because he's born with sin just like the rest of us. That's not the reason he was born blind. He was born into a sin-torn world. A world that crumbles. A world where there is brokenness. A world where things aren't as they're supposed to be. And Jesus heals that too. And so what's, what's happening here? And what, what is this for us? Just a, an amazing account of what God can do? Well, yes, but, it, but it's really more than that. It's, it's a sense of, of recognition of God's work in the midst of the crumbling world, that, that God can restore this man, first his eyesight and then his soul, and he can be made whole, and of a God who works in the midst of a world that otherwise seems to be whole. And so the people who are supposed to be whole are suddenly the ones who are crumbling. The Pharisees are supposed to have it all together, but they're afraid of losing power. And they're unwilling or unable to understand what's happening. And so they get to the point where they'll condemn everything that challenges their way of thought. They'll condemn everything around them, even, even the one who has been healed and even the healer himself. The ones who were formerly whole now seem to be crumbling. And this account reminds us that Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything in life. So what does that mean for us? It means invite Jesus into the crumbling. It means in those moments when you you feel helpless, those moments when you feel hopeless, those moments when you feel like you're in the dark, invite Jesus into those moments. But you know what you're going to find when you do? You're going to find something surprising. And maybe the best way for me to explain what that is is to tell you a little story. When when Kate and I had been married probably just about a year, I was still in the seminary and and her grandfather died. And we went up to Michigan to her her grandfather's funeral. Her grandfather was a believer. So there was a part of the, this that was a celebration, a celebration of his life, a celebration of God's work in his life. And the pastor who preached, Pastor Lasansky, 
who was his pastor for, for a lot of years, his pastor talked about going to visit him in the last moments of his life. And he said, the family called and asked me to come and visit. And that's, that's pretty, pretty normal. And he said, so as, as I was going over there, I was, I was all set to do my, my pastoral duty. He said, I was invited over there, and so I went, and I went to bring Jesus. But when I got there, I realized that he was already there. See, that's the surprising thing that you'll find when you invite Jesus into any circumstance. You'll find that he's already there, that he's been seeking you. You'll find that he's already there and that he saw you. He saw you in the midst of your helplessness and your hopelessness. He saw you in the midst of the darkness of the broken and crumbling world. He saw you. He saw you when no one else would. He saw you. And so he came near. And when Jesus is present, he transforms everything. And so I'm not a prophet. And I don't know what COVID-19 will affect in the world, but I, I know that it affects us body, mind, and spirit. I know that it affects us as a people and as a nation. I know that it affects us even as a church. And so even while I want to say invite Jesus into this, I, I, I'm, assured and I'm, I'm sure and assured that the promise that he makes is certain, that he's already here, and that when Jesus is present, he transforms everything. And so for those who have eyes to see, there's a third alternative. That these things happen so that the work of God might be displayed in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.